Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the phased quantum particle relay to my primary osmotic reaction generator. I can't believe I got that in one take. Mr. Robert Lundgren, how you doing? Wow, that was take one. Cold read and everything. I didn't even look at the script. <laughs> you know you watch too much Star Trek. Like you can nail that kind of techno babble in one take. <laughs> yes. Hello, hello. How are you doing? Woo! I, I, I was talking to you earlier. You, you were having a bit of a frustrating day, so I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad you got something to hang your hat on now. You know. Oh, it was just you know, it, it wasn't a bad day. It was just. I didn't say bad. I said frustrating. A ton of layered requests on top of each other, and I couldn't get anything done because I was constantly, you know, batting out brush fires. So so frustrating then. Is yeah, the, just yeah. a frustrating day. Yeah, not yeah. a bad day. Well, there you go. You can hang your hat hat on that. You got that out in one take. I'm I'm impressed. I, I I don't know what happened. I blacked out. What, what happened? <laughs> well, as always, let's go ahead and kick this episode off, episode 99, with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on, the servers humming, and amazing delivery of techno babble coming to you <laughs> once every, every fortnight. And Jonathan, happy National Eat a Cranberry Day. You can't make me. <laughs> I do not care for the cranberry. I, I don't think I've ever eaten a raw cranberry, to be honest with you. There, there, there's a hole in my heart right now, and it's filled up with happiness from the ocean spray guy, the, the dude on the longboard with the uh, cranberry <laughs> juice. Yes. Like, I, I still routinely watch that video because he makes me smile. So, uh, yeah, found in acidic bogs throughout colder regions of the northern hemisphere, cranberries are a group of evergreen dwarf shrubs. Because, you know, when I think of juice, I always like to think of bogs. <laughs> that grow up to seven feet long and eight inches high. Their stems are slender and wiry, and they have small evergreen leaves. And apparently it comes from the word craneberry, because the early European settlers in America who thought the expanding flower stem and whatnot resembled the neck, head, and bill of a crane. So there you go. There you go. The more you know. Na, 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 na. So yeah, go go eat cranberries and hashtag eat a cranberry day. If you are listening to this episode on release day, November the 23rd, this is it. This is your last day. Run. Run to your computer. Run to your phone. Run to your device. And submit some, uh, some questions for the AMA. Yes. Run. Run. We got a lot. Now we don't have as much. But that's fine. We've, we've got a full boat as it is. But it, we could use a fuller what? boat. We had what? a lot, but now not so much. Well, well, <laughs> that work. I shut up, man. What happened? I, I'm tired. It's been it's I have actually no excuse. I just didn't sleep much last night. You know what it is, Jonathan? You know what I've been doing? Every time I wake up in the dead of night, uh, I, I my brain goes like, maybe I should go back to sleep. Maybe I should just, you know, be a smart person. And then part of my brain pipes up and says, hey, but what if you go back to sleep and you find out that fill in the blank store uh, put up PlayStation 5s for sale right now? Wouldn't you feel kind of stupid? And then I have to go check. And yes, I don't sleep well because of that. 
Yeah, well, let me save you some trouble. They haven't, nor will they. Apparently, the only people that can get PlayStation 5s are the jerks that use bots and have like 50 of them. Yeah, well, like I said, I'll just bide my time. I can wait. I can wait. Yeah, well, I mean, let's be fair. There really is nothing to like run out and grab right away. Everything is is on both both versions. I had one in my cart and the payment process, Jonathan, and I put the I thought my wife's card was on the Costco website. It turns out it was mine, so I put the wrong three-digit number from the back of the card into my order and they canceled it. Yeah, I had several PS5s and Xbox Series Xs in my cart and failed during uh, checkout. By no error of my own, just... Yeah, this wasn't even that it, it just there weren't any left. This was, I, I literally had it. I, I was going to get one and I screwed up on a payment process and uh, Costco just canceled the order and, and see, threw it back in the none of that matters pool. anyway because apparently Costco and, and every retailer was uh, coming out and changing stuff even after you had a, a confirmed order, they would cancel it because they just didn't have enough. Uh, well, maybe maybe that's what happened instead. I don't know, but it still sucked. It's still staying. Yeah, no, it does suck. It does suck, especially when you see pictures online of, of people that had bots and they have like a stack of the darn things. Mm-hmm. That's not cool, man. They're selling for upwards. I, I saw one on eBay that sold for $1,800. Which is insanity. Just uh-huh. wait a month or two, and then the, the, the restock will come in. The ship will come in with them all inside of it. And then, yeah, boom. Bob's your yeah. uncle. The prices will get eviscerated, and it'll sell for what you bought it for. Unless they buy up all that stock. No, <laughs> I don't think they will. They, those, there's, nobody, there's only a, a, a few select people that will pay that kind of money for a, a new console. I'm not one of them. I'm not willing to. I've never paid more than full price for a console. I'm not, yeah. I'm not about to. Yeah. Well, and it's not like there's any particular game that... I mean, there's a lot of good games that are, have come out, but none of them are like... I, 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 there's I, no exclusives, is the thing. Well, there's a there, lot of really good games, but there's nothing that's only on the, the PS5 or only on the Xbox Series. Miles Morales Spider-Man, son. So, yeah. Godfall? I thought that was available on PS4 as well. I'm not going to buy the PS4 version. Are you kidding me? I'm going to wait. That's the point I'm trying to make. Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War is out on all of them. So is Valhalla. But they're also available on the previous generation. Well, sure that. So that that's the point I'm trying to make. Like there's 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 no like, you know, there's no Halo. There's yeah. no um, there's, not yet. There's, not yet. There will be. There will be. If, if anybody's going to kill the, the single-player releases, it's going to be Sony, right? We're going to get our God of Wars, our Ghost of Tsushima, our Horizon Zero Dawns. They're coming. There's just nothing right this second, which kind of makes the, the, the not being able to find it hurt a little bit less. Quite a Actually, bit less. Actually, a lot less. Kinda, a lot less. Yeah, I'm not really... No FOMO, which is really strange, because it's a new console. I should have FOMO coming out my ears, but no FOMO. Yeah, yeah. Ag- agreed. All right, well, let's jump into our first segment. It is now time for our off the shelf segment. That is, of course, the segment that the segment the segment is, of course, the segment where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves onto our tables and media players and into our hearts with a couple of uh, striking uh, exceptions this week, one of which we'll be talking about in no time to bond. Jonathan's our segment shagtastic. <laughs> you know it. Yeah. Should baby. we shear sheep while we have our shagtastic shagbat? <laughs> Yeah. Don't make me bleep you. Oh, it's another S word, H word. Can we get you, the you know, after the, the last episode, I, I don't know if you listened to it, but I cut out your diatribe and just replaced it with and cut. And uh, I have that. I saved it. So now I can just replace anything you do with and cut. Yeah, you're welcome. 
<laughs> that was probably smart. <laughs> Sam Jackson is my inner man child, so, you know. Yes. All right, so people over on the Discord, join our Discord. It's quite fun. Ray and I have been chatting about mini games, uh, and Dale has been posting memes, and Brendan posted a lovely song about bears and how they're not birds. Uh, it's it was quite amusing. So yeah, true facts, all sorts true of hilarity. What I said, true facts about yes. the birds not being bears. That's that is and correct. vice versa. So yes, all over on the Discord, plus us bitching about Rallyman GT because that last round it's not even that last round this whole game like all of us have been running cold and then like my luck me and gina's luck changed kind of near the end but but not you guys it was a a stark reminder as to why sometimes dice game don't like me it wasn't just you like that first lap was rough like we were spinning out every other turn it is what it is i am not gonna blame the game the game's design is fine it's just Sometimes dice run cold, and yeah, this time it, uh, it hit me in the junk with a two by four. Good time. It, it, it wasn't just you though. I'll, I'll give it that. Like it was a weird game because everybody's dice were cold for a really long time, like a really long time. Yeah, and uh, winter is here, my friends, and uh, my my dice have frozen over. Yeah. So I guess we'll start with board games then, because we just complained about Rally Man. Yeah, is... we're in there, man. We're in there. Um, anything else for you? No, that was it. I'll machine gun them. Uh, two legendary games introduced uh, Carlos to the legendary uh, encounter system. Uh, we played uh, Alien. Nice. Good times. Good chest bursting times. That still stands. It's one of my most favorite games of all time. Uh, nothing is changing there. Just hmm. perfectly captures the essence of the films. I love legendary Alien. It is awesome. And then afterwards, we played some uh, legendary James Bond. And then uh, finally, uh, a little more Marvel United in the house. Got some more Marvel United in. Yeah, actually, speaking of the uh, Discord, you and Dale were discussing that over the Reckoners, I remember, on the Discord. I kind of watched that conversation um, unfold. You know, a a lot of what he said was correct. I don't have it in front of me. uh, But um, basically, there are a lot of similarities between Reckoners and Marvel United. Ultimately, I think... Marvel United has a couple of more opportunities for strategy and uh, encounters more table talk and is more about planning and less about luck because there's no dice roll involved. Hmm. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know. I, I, I do I do stand by, by this. The Reckoners is uh, a beautiful, well-designed game that is vastly overproduced. It, it's it's hard for me to justify the gameplay that you get for that price point, which is not to say that there's anything wrong with it because it is one of the best produced games I've ever seen in my entire life. I but it's 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 not a side level of gameplay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So nothing bad or good. I I like the Reckoners. I have a lot of fun with it, but it's definitely overproduced for what you get. And Marvel United, with the price point being what it is, it feels like the production matches the gameplay. See, so much fun over on that Discord, just saying. Yeah, yeah, we can uh, wax intellectual about the uh, anything, really, whatever you guys want to talk about. Wait, um, wait, wait, we're, we're, we're bearded, pale, chubby guys, nerds with opinions? No way. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> when did that happen? Damn it. That never happens on the internet, my friend, ever. <laughs> no, no. No, but I am proud to say that we are 100% inclusive, and uh, yeah. True, true. And, and 
willing to uh, self-reflect and admit we're wrong sometimes. Yeah. Hey, I've been wrong a lot. I make mistakes on a regular basis. It's called life. Uh, But yeah, I'm willing to sit there and say, yeah, uh, I screwed that one up. I could have interpreted that differently. The more more you know. know. Yep. So that's board games. How about movies and TVs? We we both watched a lot of these. Yeah, I the weird thing is like I I don't know where this last two weeks went because I it feels like I haven't done anything and uh, yeah I don't know man like like I, I watched a few things but yeah we can we can get to that we can get to that so well let's get get one out of the way uh, we're gonna talk about one of the things that we watched at, at no time to bond Zardoz did happen though yes it did oh my god wow yeah wow. <laughs> Wow. Wow. My state does not allow the level of psychotropics needed to enjoy that. Mine did, and it didn't help, man. Oh, God. All right. We'll be talking about that during the no time to bond. <laughs> In this case, no no bond. <laughs> <laughs> no time to no bond. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, what it, the, the two things that we're both watching are Mando and Discovery, right? You know what? I am behind on Mandalorian. Two episodes now. What? I like I said, I don't know what happened the last two weeks. It just we we didn't end up watching it. Oh man, the last yeah. two episodes of Mando were amazing. Yeah, we're gonna fix that I think tomorrow is the plan, but yeah, yeah. Like okay, I Okay, I won't say anything. I won't yeah, say don't, anything. don't. Let me just say Bryce Dallas Howard, both your episodes of Mandalorian have been amazing. You have my heart and my full one hundred percent backing should you ever want to direct any Star Wars movie. I'm with you, I support you. And I love you deeply. Opie's daughter is getting into directing? Yeah, I know. Shocker, right? Uh, But she's not just getting into directing, Robert. She's friggin' nailing it. What was her episode in the first season? Uh, Remember the one where they're out in the the forest in that community and the uh, ATSD attacks? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Yeah, that that was was hers. And it's... She does a very good job of, of getting textured, layered performances out of her actors and she paces and, and puts the, the episode together in such a way that it really kind of enhances the story beats and enhances the storytelling. And her both of her episodes have been, I would argue, some of the strongest of the series. Yeah, I'd agree. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, Mando season two, no difference. And, uh, yeah, it's every time a Mandalorian uh, episode comes on, my heart sings. I'm just so happy watching that show. I feel like I'm seven again. It puts me into the happiest place in the world. And I just built my Lego Razor Crest. And I sit there with my baby Yoda in my lap. And I have fun. Good times. And then what about Discovery? Uh, You and I were talking a lot about Discovery the other night because I was texting you as I was getting caught up. I think I was a couple episodes behind. So I just kind of uh, watched them back to back. This past episode, episode five, or I think it's five, Die Trying. Is that the one with the trill? No. That's, that's the one the, after it. It's the one where they find Starfleet headquarters. Yeah, yeah. It's the one after the, the one with the trill. Yes. I thought that was like the, I, I literally thought that was the best episode of Discovery I'd seen in a while because it hit every note I like in Star Trek and I was just happy the whole time. It had ship porn. It had fun Easter eggs like the USS Nog that was in the background. <laughs> I uh, saw that. That was great. Yeah. Um, it had. Uh, and, dis- it, and Voyager Dash J. Yeah. <laughs> man, if you, re- if, you, if you refit a ship that many times, you got some major issues. Man. I, it, it, hey, man. the Try the to enter- stretch that whole life out. You the know the Enterprise D is not the same ship class as the Enterprise E. So it, it might That's just be true. another ship. Another That's ship entirely. True. 
All right, and then uh, it's it's got an away team. It's a w- away team episode. I love away team episodes. That was actually one of my chief complaints about the series. Even last season, as much as I liked last season, I think there are there were like one or two episodes that you could legitimately call away team episodes. Uh, uh, and and both of those were really good too. Actually, come to think of it, but yeah, um, I, I just like away team episodes. What can I say? Um, and it also had like ship in distress and tractor beams and space whoobies and and ion storms. It, it just hit every note I like in Star Trek. Like everything, I was happy. It wasn't a particularly good episode. No, it was not. It it just hit it 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 just nailed everything that makes me nostalgic about Star Trek. So I it, it was it was a warm fuzzy blanket. I really like Discovery. So I, I think I think it's important that I preface my my next comments with I like Discovery. I have no problem with it. I think it's a, it's a fine show. It's come a long way. Look at you, season one. (laughs) It's come a long way. That said, I think that there's structurally some major issues with it. And I think that characterization and story beats is a big part of those issues. I it's got it's got lost syndrome where it feels like it has to do something every second of every episode or else it's failing as entertainment. And I would argue especially since I watched these episodes of discovery juxtapositioned against haunting at Hill house, which is an exercise in character development that sometimes slowing an episode down and letting characters grow is the right call. And I think that's the feedback that I would give discovery discovery. Season two is a work of art from start to finish. It is a well-constructed, well-paced, season of television, probably one of my top 10 seasons of TV, maybe of all time. I liked it that much. Season three of Discovery picks up too many of the bad habits from season one. And I, I still stand by what I was telling you. And this is not a knock on the acting or or the casting or anything like that. This is strictly a knock on the way it's edited, really, because I don't think it's a writing problem either. I really don't. I feel like every episode of Discovery Season 3 that I watch, I feel like a third of the story got left behind on the cutting room floor. There's there's obviously more happening, and they're just they're, they're cutting it out for the interest of keeping this snappy pace up. And, and to me, that's, that's doing Star Trek a disservice. Because the best parts of Next Gen, for instance, are the parts where they let the characters grow. And they're quieter episodes, and sometimes that's okay. What are you smoking, man? The characters on TNG never grew. Like it was so incremental because just because of the way that they structured the show, they didn't want to have a long-term story. The fact that DS9 had a long-term story, um, the producers hated it. Like they wanted to do a whole season of the year of hell for Voyager and they wouldn't let him do it. They wouldn't let him have a year long arc because they were that sick of it from, from DS9. Well, don't even get me started on the producers from Voyager and what tools they were. It, they they were all the same people from DS9 and and the later half of TNG. So yeah, well they did not learn the right lessons. They did not. They did they they learned the wrong lessons. They took the wrong lessons away from it. Some of the feedback that they had about Picard was that Picard was too slow, uh, especially its early episodes. Like it took a long time for the story to get going, and I I didn't care. I mean I I was just having a good time as they spooled out the characters. But I didn't have any issues with Picard at all. None of them because I thought that the characters were interesting and they they, they took them interesting places. Yeah, but they they got a lot of bad feedback about how the first few episodes were really slow because he didn't get into space to episode three. And I, I disagree with it, but I don't know. I think I think Discovery is supposed to be the uh, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek show. You know, well, it like, is. it's it's 
Damien Lindoff, I think, is is his name. And and like, I get it. It's well, a he, different he's produced way in all of, of the shows, TV. though. He produced Picard, too. You know, like, but I, I think the mandate from on high is like it is supposed to evoke the same franticness of the J.J. trilogy of movies, which good or bad, because um, I do like this. They are letting all the shows sort of stand on their own. Like they definitely have different vibes, you know, but Discovery's vibe, I think they're they're trying it to be they're trying to get it to be the more kinetic of the star trek shows that's going to be its thing even last season had that problem like besides the oh, one it didn't, episode. but the plot matched it yeah I don't and, know. and that's the problem this this plot needs a little bit more room to breathe than the last one the discovery season two is so well paced because they found a plot and a mechanism that that functions within that frantic pace and this one doesn't yeah, well, we can agree to disagree. I'm, I'm, I'm just. Fine. I'm not saying I'm not enjoying it. I, I'm definitely enjoying it. It's some of the best Star Trek we've had in a long time. Yeah, this season especially because Discovery. The problem with prequels is you get kind of like locked into stuff, and you know, it, it, it. They made it the right con- choice by taking it out of the past. Yeah, I agree. That that was a really really intelligent choice. There are people who are all sorts of pissed about how the the bridge of the Enterprise from last season looks different than the TOS bridge. And I've seen the most convoluted, convoluted explanations for why the bridge changes to what it does <laughs> in the TOS show from where it is in Pike's show or in the Pike Enterprise. It's so dumb. Look, I, I have no problem with that. Yeah, you absolutely should be reimagining things to 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 modern technology because they, they, they did the best that they could in the 60s. And you know what? Considering we're all walking around with cell phones, they kind of nailed it in a lot of respects. Yeah, but, you know, we got that stuff years early. I, well, we did, granted. But what I'm, what I'm saying is they did the best that they could. And, and now we have better technology than we ever thought we would in the 60s and 70s. So is it okay to reimagine stuff in a more modern way? Yeah, I absolutely think so. Because otherwise, we would sit there and look at it and go, well, this is cheesy crap. Oh, oh, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But like, like a lot of people are complaining about the, the Klingon thing and they say, well, there's a canon reason for that. And it's like, yeah, they came up with a canon reason for it in a later season of DS nine after they did, you know, like the entire TOS, then all the movies where it changed. Then they did a whole TV series where it changed and they didn't talk about it. And then they talked about it in DS nine. Right. Oh, no, it, they, they made a joke about it in DS9 and they didn't even give a canon reason until Enterprise. We had an incomplete other show in that, too. Yeah. And and no less Roddenberry, when people would ask him about it, he would say, and I quote, they always looked like that. What are you talking about? Because he just <laughs> it, it was a retcon. It was they couldn't do that back in the 60s, but they can do it now. And so they did just roll with it. And that's that's kind of my response. Like the set looked cheesy in the 60s because it was a cheesy set in the 60s. And if they made that show now, it would have a cooler set because, God damn it, we've seen better stuff on TV now. You can't do that. Well, for crying out loud, it's like most of that crap isn't even actually there anyway. It's all, you know, the, the overlays and stuff, they're all digital post yeah it is what it is like technology changes you've got to make your show look viable for for being a future expression of your current now 
And if you don't, you just end up coming off as cheesy and crappy and nobody's going to buy that. Nobody's going to watch that. And I know I can hear the argument. It's like, well, in the episode of Enterprise where they went to the TOS bridge or the episode of TNG where they went to the TOS bridge, it didn't look bad. And it's like, yeah, but both of those things, they were playing on nostalgia. Like the episode was about that. You know, it wasn't they weren't trying to hang a series on these old sets, you know. And and, and, and how about the fact that when they went there in in Next Generation you're literally talking about a show that predates Jurassic Park, which means that computer graphics weren't really a thing. Well, I'm not even saying that. Like the episode in TNG where you see the TOS bridge, it, it's it's a character moment between Picard and Scotty. Yeah, and yeah, that's the, right. And and he's he's feeling he's feeling useless, and so he turns on the holodeck. It goes back to a place where he feels the warm. Yeah, fuzzies. that's right. That's right. But that's what that scene was about. It was about nostalgia. It was about looking back like that. It served the story, but they didn't try to do a show there. You know, I, I don't know. Anyway, I, I'm arguing with people that aren't you. It's, on it's right to me, now. it's the same conundrum as the Grognard conundrum in, in gaming. It, it's mm-hmm. the same problem. Pe- old guard not rolling with the punches and, and embracing new thought. Yeah, actually, I had an interesting example of that today. I was watching um, the dragon uh, show that Wizards puts out. And they were doing a, a lore you should know segment about Tasha because Tasha's Cauldron of Everything comes out tomorrow, which I'm going to go pick up. I will let you know in episode 100 how it is. But they were going over her character. One of the things that they brought up was, uh, you know, they were talking about her adventuring days and, and they were quick to point out that, you know, adventurers in first edition D&D, they were not heroes. You were not expected to be a hero. Like in first edition, lying and cheating commoners was a thing because it it was just a different mindset. It was a more D and D and and the early adopters of D and D, Gary and all that. They read you know Gray Mouser and Conan and stuff. And sometimes you screw over people to just get cash and to move on. You know, like that's heroes being characters, adventurers being heroes is a more modern concept. And yeah, you know, but like it, it was weird to hear about these these lore of these characters who sort of existed in that frame. And now you're trying to bring them forward to this sort of different sort of D&D paradigm. And it was I don't know, it was just an interesting thing. But yeah, that's that's the point. Like things in the past don't exactly jive up with the future. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or or what they mean now. Anyway, anyway. Anyway, I, I, I'm arguing with people who aren't you that I read on the Internet. So that's kind of. I don't know. Stupid. I should just move on. I like it. I'm fine with it. I like the new Enterprise Bridge. It was cute. I'm I'm looking forward to the Pike show. It's going to be fun, man. Yeah, Uh, because a big part of that show was the way Pike's character and just general bravado and gusto just drive drove that show. I'm so excited. So, so very excited. And Saru, he's he's being a good captain. I like Yeah, Saru's like really captain coming Saru. into his own. I gotta tell you. I'm I'm very happy. I thought he was a poor choices captain at first, but you know what? I stand corrected. He is really evolving into something interesting and unique in the pantheon of captains. Yeah, that's that's what I like about him, because say what you will about Pike. Pike is basically Kirk with none of the sixties nonsense. He's you Kirk know. without the sexual harassment problems. Yeah, a lot of sixties <laughs> harassment problems. But yeah. But and don't get me wrong, it's great. Like it's great to see that the idea of Kirk can work um, when you take that stuff out. But I like that Saru, especially if the show lasts another few seasons and he's captain the whole time, he's going to enter into that equation of who's the best captain. And you know, it won't be like Pike, who's just basically 
Pike and Kirk will be kind of interchangeable, you know? He'll have his own thing, his own space he inhabits with Janeway and Cisco and Picard and all that, which will be good. I, I, I actually find it interesting that these two captains exist in the same timeline and show because it shows how radically different yet strangely effective different captains can be. Because yeah. you could not have more polar opposites than Pike and Saru. Caution versus bravado and willingness to gamble. Oh, well, I, I would throw up uh, Jellico and Picard. That would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very true. That, that's, you know, honestly, that's what I really liked about the Jellico episode. Because everybody hates Jellico. Everybody says he's a terrible captain. But, like, if you watch that episode, he's not. He's not a bad captain. Not at all. You know? He just is different. He he handles things differently. I don't know. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I, I wouldn't want Jellico to be my captain. He's kind of an asshole, a, a jackass. But, but I thought it was interesting in the context of that show that they didn't make Jellico a failure. He was just different and he worked regardless. And that is something that's like Cisco and Picard are very, very different captains. Cisco oh my commits, gosh, yeah. <laughs> he dabbles in light genocide occasionally. Uh, like, you know, well, <laughs> I enjoy long walks on the beach, shaving my head and dabbling in the occasional light genocide. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, anyway, anyway, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I mean, this is going to be the Star Trek show, but we, we got more Star Trek to come. We should just move on. See, I always, I always thought that Jellicoe was really interesting because he's basically a, a function of the conflict that he was stuck in. Right. He's, He's the quintessential. He's, you know what he is? He, he's he's the 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 same thing that we saw in Goldeneye, that thought process from a forgotten war, that's so locked into place because of their experiences that they become almost unusable in the current uh, landscape. Yeah, but again, I he didn't fail. Like he no, didn't he didn't fail. To it. But I'm, I'm saying it, it, it wasn't the right captain for the time. Well, it wasn't the right captain sense, for that because boat. It was too. Too structured by the 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 experiences that they that they experienced in in this other conflict, right? Well, it, I, I still I think there's a place for that in Starfleet, and I think he was probably the right captain for the job that he had at the time. But I don't think you'd put him on a diplomatic flagship. I don't think that's Jellicoe's strong suit. No, I think, he, no. I, I think he works like if you need a if you need a hard ass who can stare down. You know, if you're doing diplomacy with the Cardassians, you need someone who can stare them down. Like, yeah, you know, he he's really good for that. But yeah, not not the Enterprise, not the flagship. But anyway, yes. I'm trying to get us off of Star Trek, Jonathan. We're going to talk way more about Star Trek. All right, all right, all right. Moving right along. Uh, I watched Haunting at Hill House. I finished it. Um, oh, nice. What an amazing show. From a horror perspective, there are episodes, like episode nine, that my skin was crawling the entirety of the episode. And... That's really saying something because I watch a lot of horror and, and freaky stuff, and this show got under my skin. And it's not I'm a lot so of jump afraid scares, which if I, I watch that show, I'm going to end up reading the novel, and I, I don't know if I want to commit to all that. <laughs> well, I'll say this: the characterizations and the character exploration of this show are second to none. It is one of the I would call pinnacles of character explorations i've ever seen in a tv show ever it's yeah. amazing <clears throat> no spoilers i want to watch it uh, uh no spoilers i'm just are you gonna move that, on to bly house now yeah I, I, and that's that's the plan after this week Ooh, cool 
Well, I... Uh, oh, God, you watched more Phantasm. I watched more Phantasm. I, I made the threat that I'm committed now, and now now I'm over the hump. Now I've watched three. <laughs> so I got to watch four and five. That's, I mean, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, you're there. I got through the Wednesday of film, you know? I, I need Now it's just Thursday and Friday. It's all up from here. <laughs> uh, Phantasm 3, Lord of the Dead, straight to video, garbage from the mid-90s. Can't oh. imagine why. Oh, my gosh. So all the same people were involved with it, which is hilarious because... <laughs> The movies, the movie timeline, all the movies are supposed to happen back to back, but everybody keeps aging like half a decade or more between films. And it's really noticeable because like, like the, uh, the, the guy who had the skullet, you know, cause he was bald on top and he had the molt in the back. Um, you know, like he was probably in his late twenties to early thirties in the first movie. And then when they made the sequel 10 years later, he started growing out and he started growing out more in the five or six between two and three. <laughs> And it's like, but, but three happens, I think like two or three years later. Cause like somebody gets into a coma, but it's only supposed to be a two year coma. So the timeline of that movie doesn't make any damn sense. I'm sorry. Wait, did we officially leave horror and just go into soap opera land? Yes. Yes, yeah, it did. There it is. And there's the problem, right? They there. haven't recast anybody, but yeah, like the first, the second movie happens directly after the first movie. And then there's a two year time gap, uh, near the beginning of the, of the third movie between. So, technically only like two or three years have passed since 1979 yet it is the 90s somehow it's it's like marvel time it's like sliding (laughs) you know so whatever the current movie is the previous movie happened like two years before that you just didn't realize it like that kid driving around on a dirt bike unescorted that happened in like you know 93 (laughs) (laughs) but i haven't watched four so four will slide the timeline again there you go yeah, but it's uh, it it was it was fun. It those movies are so crazy. Like the problem with three is it never the first movie was so strange and it got to like be strange, and the second movie was kind of eh, and the third movie they really tried to run up against the weird again, and I just don't think they had the budget for it because they had to make it for like less than a million or something like that. It was higher than the 300,000 they had to make the first one. But then again, it was 20 years later. So, yeah, I yeah, but I had fun. It was silly. There there's this sociopathic kid is one of the main characters in it. Like the tall man goes through this town and like kills almost everybody in the town. But this there's one kid who survives and he has like a, a home alone house full of knives, mm-hmm. you know, like 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 if the home alone traps actually murdered people like they because I mean, he does just swing a paint can at somebody, but it's implied that he's trying to actually he does kill somebody doing that so like you know that guy is actually very obviously supposed to be home alone but like the the grimdark version that's even more hilarious now but anyway uh (laughs) oh oh and the best part the best part so they're exploring a crypt like you do and uh, they run into these two ladies and they are they're they're african-american and they're kind of stereo stereotypical and then one of them randomly pulls out nunchucks and tries to like nunchuck one of the spheres flying around you know and and they're and they're like, where did you learn to defend yourself? And she's like, I was in the army. And I'm like, they do not teach you how to use nunchucks in the army. <laughs> That's not true. But that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Those movies are just so strange and weird. And they they what's kind of endearing about them is they are so in love with what they are. And it's hard not to kind of get behind that because they're just so earnest. You know, it's just it's 
they just didn't, they are embracing what they are, which is movies that don't make any damn sense. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I will yeah, try to watch four before next time. But I'm, I'm having a good time. It's uh, and the plots are. Uh, I, I can't. I can't even. Like, there's a dream sequence that tr- that, that just becomes real because it, it it's phantasm, man. You can't trust what you see. I, I I don't know. I love it. I tell you what, I'll round myself out. Oh wait, that was me rounding myself. Oh, Marbula One started up with uh, Jell's uh, Jelly's uh, Marble oh, Races. Oh, I got I got to get back on that then. Yeah, they've had four. They've had a qualifier in the first race and the second qualifier for the second race, and they've done those so far. So, yeah, there's like two videos a week. They do the qualifier early in the week, and then they do the race on Wednesday. And, uh, you know, I keep rooting for Team Momo because Team Momo, for one, their name's funny, and they're green, and I like the color green. And Team Momo always lets me down, Jonathan. Like, they they, they, they do all, well, all right, and then they just get really middling. And uh, Team Momo did pretty good, and um, I, there's, there's this part of me that wants to just hope that they're going to do well, but I, I just I can't, I can't commit again. I can't be hurt again, Jonathan. My team has hurt me too many times. Too many just, times. Uh, stick with them. Their time will come. Their okay. Time will come. Anyway. So, yes, yes. Marbula One. Watch it, Jonathan. It, it'll take you 40 minutes. No, I know. I know. I'll get caught, caught up. up. I'll get caught up. All right. Let's finish you out because I, I, I'm done now. I have not watched a lot. I watched the first episode of Truth Seeker, which is the new Simon Pegg Nick Frost show on uh, oh. Amazon. Laughed very heartily. I am very excited about it. Hmm. I did not know that was a thing. Yes, there is an amazing line about wearing pants that you will love, and I cannot wait to hear it uh, from okay. you. Okay. Okay. I, I uh, started like watching Good Place Season 4 on Netflix uh, with my wife. We watched the first couple episodes of that, and that continues to be amazing and fun and just charming as all get out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I went back to the mid-90s, the late 90s, and I watched John Woo's Paycheck. I still have not watched that, and I really need to. Wow, really? I'm not saying a thing until you watch it. We're going to have a discussion about Paycheck. So I, this is how close I got to watching it. I really wanted to watch it, but um, it's on I was Prime, working. At, I think. Oh, it is. I think so. I think that's what yeah. I well, it. well, I got so close to watching it, like about ten years ago. Um, I worked at a bookstore at the time, so I read the book, like because it's a short story. It was really easy to read. And I was going to go watch it, and then that, it just never happened. Yeah, but I've, I've read the short story. With each other, by the way. What? The, you, you, <laughs> the book and, and the movie are not connected in any way, shape, or form. Oh, oh man. Like, taking a Philip K. Dick story and completely changing it to be unrecognizable, that is and a And then calling tradition. it a Philip K. Dick story. Are, right. Yeah. yeah right. It's, uh, it's no, that's a long-running Hollywood for tradition. Free. Okay. Cool. I, I'm I, not, I will not say anything else until then. Okay. And and you watched uh, the video game movie. I mean, Edge of Tomorrow. Yes, uh, I I showed my older kids Edge of Tomorrow, and we had a blast. I had forgotten how much fun that movie is, and Doug Lehman is amazing, and uh, Emily Blunt. Because I know you're listening, uh, you have my heart, and you make me happy. That is all. Nice. She's so so good in that movie, and the best part is that she's good because she's a total badass, and she doesn't take. It, it's so against trope you know what i mean mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i was very pleasantly surprised by that movie actually the weakest link of that movie is just uh is, is tom cruise and not that he did a bad acting job his main problem is tom cruise is getting visibly old <laughs> and, <laughs> and i'm starting not to buy him in roles like it's starting to get noticeable with him playing ethan hunt you know like I'm yeah like, that's getting a little rough too i agree i agree 
And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I like him in action movies and he can still sprint. I mean, he's still Tom Cruise, but it's just like, you know, I, I think he has to find a new niche. Sadly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. So yeah, that's it for movies and TV. Uh, any reading for you? Uh, no. <laughs> like I Fair said, enough. I don't know where this week went. Like I, finished, I haven't done anything. Uh, I finished Sybil Burn, book four in the expanse. Uh, and then I powered through this, uh, scientific analysis of the, it's a lot of, uh, the research that's being done on video games and how they affect people and whatnot. And it's, was a very interesting read, especially in how bad the science is often. Uh, it's called yeah. lost in a good game. Uh, the gentleman that wrote it is actually uh, a writer for the guardian newspaper oh. in the UK. That sounds up my alley. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, if you don't mind a little bit of uh, scientific exposition, it is really quite interesting. Move on. I'm, I'm checking my library currently. Okay. Uh, and then uh, since I finished my Off the Expanse book, I jumped right back into The Expanse, and I'm now reading Nemesis Games, uh, which is book five in The Expanse series. And somewhere in the next uh, three to four weeks, I should be getting two more uh, Expeditionary Force books. So I, wow, back to back? Or, or uh, just yeah, behind? well, they were originally one was going to be Expeditionary Force, and the other one was going to be Mavericks. But because the 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 two teams are coming together, the author thought that it would be better served as being an Expeditionary Force novel. So they're they're both releasing on top of each other. Oh, okay. I'm not. So there you go. That's the reading for me. I'm sad. Uh, video games? Any video games? So, I put random video games on my queue uh, for the library because why not, right? <laughs> hey, and so, yeah. I read good things about Ring Fit Adventure. So, I put it on my library queue. And it took four fudging ever to get because they only have two copies. And I was like 21st in line. If this tells you how long ago I put it on my list. <laughs> so, it finally came in, like randomly. I'd forgotten. I put it on my list, to be blunt. Maybe they got more copies. I don't know. So I tried it. And within 72 hours, I actually owned a copy of Ring Fit Adventure. It is that good. It's not a good game. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's basically an RPG and a very, very simplistic RPG. But when you do your RPG battles, you actually have to, like, do exercises and it embraces that notion that you're exercising to do damage to critters, which is hilarious because like, you know, it, it's playing, it, it's talking about RPG tropes and it's like, okay, like, you know, go, go do a yoga pose to attack an enemy <laughs> because, <laughs> but, uh, but like that game is like somebody reached into my skull and pl- teased out how to inspire Robert to want to work out and created it whole cloth because, oh, my God, Jonathan. So I'm trying to just limit myself to about 30 minutes a day, give or take. Yeah, like I end my little session and I so desperately want to continue because it's got turn-based battles. It's got just all of this stupid nonsense that I love about, you know, just JRPGs and, and whatnot. And, yeah, I look forward to, like, exercising uh, every day because I get to – I get because I get numbers, Jonathan – like, I can't tell you how happy I was when I rolled into the first town in that game and I bought a new tank top because I, I just thought that the clothing was there for appearances, like like a like a freemium game, you know, because you get a currency. But when it showed that my numbers went up when I bought, like, because you can buy sh- uh, shirts, shoes, and uh, 
pants or shorts or whatever. I bought a new outfit and it made my numbers go up. I was so happy. Nice. I can't even put it into words how happy I was. I was like, oh my God, this is like armor in a JRPG. Ah, it's so good, Jonathan. It's so, so good. I highly recommend giving it a try. If you, if you could carve out 30 minutes or so a day to work out and you need like something to motivate you and you like RPG games, Ring Fit is a surprisingly good choice. And it's got that Nintendo thing where, where it's cute and it's easy. Easy is a bad word, but accessible. I'll go with accessible. And it knows what it is and, you know, and it just sort of like grabs onto that and just, and just embraces it. Cause the main antagonist is a dragon that's infected with darkness or something, but the dragon, uh, he's this big beefy, like bodybuilder guy. And like during boss battles, sometimes he'll skip a turn because he's just like holding an Adonis pose and thinking about working out later. <laughs> and, it's, <laughs> and it's like, this, this game's great. It's just, it's silly. It's like my exact humor style. Cause it's kind of silly. And, oh, I, yeah. Like that game was designed for Robert and I'm having a great time. And I'm working out my, my core. Well, there you go. And holy God, warrior po- position number one in yoga, it looks stupid, but it, it like wrecked no, me that's, today. That will beat the living daylights out of you. That is not yeah. easy. No, no. And it, it goes all the way up to three. And warrior pose three is like the thing where you're standing on one foot and you're like planking with the rest of your body. I'm like, I don't even know how I'm going to get there. So what, what video games have you been playing, Jonathan? Video games, um, I continue to go through Ghost of Tsushima, having a great time with it. Um, it's just a really, really big game. It's gigantic. And then I could not help myself because I love me some Norse mythology. I got uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. How is it? I've heard it's really good. I'm quite enjoying it. It There are a couple of aspects of... Um, odyssey that i like a little better in terms of character progression but this is an excellent combat system and the main character i'm playing is the female version of the you you get to choose whether you're a male or female uh, version of the character and the female version of the character at least ivar is amazing she is an interesting unique character and easily a standout in the in the franchise uh she's up there with Ezio in terms of interesting characters yeah i've read um i've read that they've taken a lot of beats from like breath of the wild and some of the more recent like games of that ilk and tried to apply them to uh the assassin's creed thing and like it worked like the quest the questing in general is a lot better yes it's a a little more organic the only thing is after playing uh, as much Tsushima as I have, that just handles questing in such an organic way that it really it's it's hard to go back to anything anything but that. Mm-hmm. That is currently the pinnacle of navigation, in my opinion. Well, there you go. Okay. So yeah, I'm having a good time with Valhalla. It is uh, so far a very interesting tale uh, of a very interesting time. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to rent that when I get my PS5. <laughs> there you go. Huh. There you mm. go. Anything else? Uh, yes. So last time I was mentioning that book I got about ancestry and culture for D&D, and I was thinking about how to take it a step further while I started writing that down for uh, my my setting. And it was fun. That's actually a lot of what I've been doing the last couple of weeks. I've been 
creating D&D nonsense and been having a blast. So there you go. That's always a good time. And then you and I actually played a role-playing game together. I guess we'll talk about that later. I guess that's the plan. I have no idea how it's yeah, going to Yeah, let's, let's uh, save that for our impressions. There you go. But yes, we played a role-playing game together. Finally. It only took like five years. That's not true. We played, uh, you DM'd a... No, 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 no. We did that for the show. That was professional. I'm talking like no, you and no, no, I. No, 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 I'm talking about when it was uh, Tabletop Day, International Tabletop Day. You did a oh, vampire... I did Nice Black Agents. Uh, yeah. Nice Black Agents, yeah. You did a Nice yeah, Black Agents, like, little one-off. True. That's very, very true. So don't tell me no. Don't tell me. We did it. We've been there. We weren't, like, friends' friends then. We no. were getting friendly. It was the beginning. It was the beginning. Yeah. And now look at us. Episode yeah. 99, baby. Yeah. So I, I'm going to stand by it. This is the first one we played as friends. Like friends, friends. Friends, friends, friends? Friends, 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 friends. Friends, friends, friends. Friends. Anything else? No, I'm done. Ring Fit Adventure is amazing. I'm having a really good time. <laughs> well, there you it's go. so stupid. I might have to try it one day. I can get into stupid. It's surprisingly engaging. And yeah, it's like it's like that Pokemon Go. Like I stopped playing Pokemon Go because it got cold and and I don't like the cold, but I can do this in my house. (laughs) And it's got just enough game in it that, you know, it keeps me engaged. And then like, you know, like there's this one exercise I hate doing because it hurts after a while. But you know what? It's my best attack. So I'm going to do it. (laughs) It's got the highest numbers, Jonathan. (laughs) You are min-maxing exercise. Yes. That's what it does. It's beautiful. It's so good. (laughs) All right. Moving right along. Uh, Well, I think that brings us to the end of this segment, which means it's break time, baby. And when we return, it'll be time for our Wisdom Crowd segment. We will see you in a moment. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment where we talk about, well, this time of year, not a whole lot. So, let's, let's jump into it because, man, has it been quiet. Indeed. Uh, well, let's get the little one out of the way first. Uh, new version of Munchkin has been announced. And the only reason I bring this up, because Munchkin's been around for quite some time, is because this is Disney Munchkin. And I know there's a lot of Disney fans out there. I believe both of us are Disney fans. 
Uh, we are indeed. We are indeed. I would actually play this. It's kind of interesting. They've got items like the Mad Hatter's Top Hat. You know what? I can resist. If it was the Haunted Mansion Munchkin, I would have problems. A uh, lot of standard stuff here. This is pretty much Munchkin with Disney applied to it. You are um, activating your cards and you're using Disney magic, which gives a benefit to the player that uses it. I see a wide swath of uh, stuff here. It's coming from the op uh, in the picture on the op's website. I see Simba. I see Tinkerbell. And I see that creepy wolf thing uh, that convinces Pinocchio to go to the naughty land. <laughs> Can't remember its name. And drink himself into a mule? That yes. part's horrifying. Yeah. I'm um, not going to say that I have been forever scarred by that scene and never watched Pinocchio since my childhood because of it, uh, but that would be a true statement. <laughs> nice. So there you go. More Munchkin on the way. It's uh, coming relatively soon. Uh, you can view information about it at the Ops website, a.k.a. USA Opley, a.k.a. ODB, a.k.a. Big Baby Jesus. Nope, that's the Wu-Tang Clan. Sorry, I get those two confused sometimes. Nice. Wu-Tang for life. All right. So a few episodes ago, Renegade Game Studios announced they were working with Hasbro to produce more games with their properties, including a Power Rangers RPG powered by 5th Edition, with a hint of maybe MLP, G.I. Joe, and Transformers coming soon. Well, they got another big announcement. Paradox Interactive has chosen them to be their partner for future World of Darkness content that they are going to start publishing in-house. And they are saying they're going to do comic books and, you know, video games and novels and the whole nine, and that Renegade is going to just help them make the print products based off of that. So I don't know what those guys did to get all these big clients, but bravo. They did something right. Yeah. They yeah. apparently casted uh, Dragon Dagger. Yeah. Yeah, there, there you go. There's your Power Rangers reference. I have no idea what the Dragon Dagger is. It's like the only thing I remember from the Power Rangers. You and I are both too old for Power Rangers, I think. It was uh, after speak for time. yourself. Speak for yourself, my friend. That is the Green Ranger's weapon that it plays like a flute, and that is how he summons the Dragon Sword. There you go. That's how it uh, it summoned me changing the channel when I was that age. I had a friend with a little brother, so we watched that show. And you know what? I liked I like kaiju, and so I could I could get behind the giant robot battles and pick on them. See, I, I always I used to watch Ultraman. Ultraman reruns came on the local Fox station when I was younger. Oh uh, yeah, L- love me some Ultraman. Got a soft soft spot in my heart for Ultraman now. In any event, uh, Modifius was producing Vampire 5th Edition content prior to this, and they have not said if that is going to change or how or why or what's going on here, but they have said Renegade is going to be their new in-house partner, which means it sounds like Paradox is going to fire up an in-house studio again. (gasps) Hopefully it goes better than that last time. (laughs) 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 Uncomfortable laughing. Jonathan. (laughs) Well, Z-Man Games is uh, returning to the well. This is something that it's been quite a while since it got a reprint. Uh, It was originally released in 2002. Z-Man is finally reprinting, 18 years later, Carcassonne Hunters and Gatherers. You know, I have a mini expansion for that game that I got in some Carcassonne expansion, and I never found Hunters and Gatherers to actually purchase. it's been out of print for 18 years. Yeah, I don't even know what it's about. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's a 10,000 BC Carcassonne, basically rad okay 
Are you like killing saber tooth tigers and like hitting people with clubs? Yeah, there's mammoths, all kinds of stuff. There's Ooh. mammoths and tigers on the uh, the the game tiles and stuff like that. I approve. And your little dudes have spears. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you're welcome. So uh, it's coming next year. This won't be available to winter 2021. Bold move, announcing it a year early. Got to start that hype train, man. Uh, apparently, <laughs> leaving the station. So uh, yeah, all new art. Uh, they're adding some gameplay elements uh, like uh, Stonehenge-style kind of structures. They're called Menhir, which will grant the player bonus tiles. Uh, so, yeah, coming in winter of 2021. Interesting. There, there's an official press release on Z-Man's website. Uh, it pretty much it looks like it's... Uh, I, I would actually buy this. This looks awesome. I'm really excited about this. The more I look at it, the more I want it. Ah man, I played so much Carcassonne back in the day. So and who much. knows, this, this it might be another 18 years till they release it again, so you might want to get a copy. <laughs> nice. Coming in 2039, Carcassonne Hunters and Gatherers, third printing. <laughs> no, I guess that would be more. That would be 2039. What am I saying, 2029? All right, Jonathan. Well, the hype train, speaking of which, for Blood Bowl Season 2 is firing up, and they have announced a new Season 2 team, which I don't know has ever been in the game. There's, there's a lot of Blood Bowl teams, though, so I'm probably wrong. But they have announced the Wolfenberg Crypt Stealers. The Necromancers of Sylvania have made dark packs with ghouls, wraiths, and werewolves and entered into the Blood Bowl as coaches. Their lineup for the Wolfenberg Crypt Stealers consists of beefy zombies, a few speedster creatures and strong flesh golems. This kit comes with six zombie linemen, two ghoul runners, two wraiths, two werewolves, two flesh golems, two turn counters, two coins, and four spooky balls, all for an MSRP of $40. I got to say, Jonathan, this makes me sad we don't live near each other anymore. I would love to play Blood Bowl. I miss Blood Bowl quite a bit. Yeah, I do too. Um, I really enjoy it when we play blood bowl like that, those were some great games that we had. And there's that it, it blood bowl continues to be one of the best ways to capture a balls, a ball related sport in board game format. It's just great. It's super fun. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm season two is looking better and better. Yeah. Agreed. I'm having a hard time resisting it to be honest with you. Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky there's the Rona cause that, that, it's going to be hard to play without, you know, people to play with. But, uh, yeah, I, I've got a Games Workshop store relatively close, and I know they have a Blood Bowl night. And I don't want to look into it further than that because I may make a poor decision, which will make my wife upset. I just spent $80 on Ring Fit, and I'm looking to buy a $500 PlayStation 5, you know? Yep. The fun money budget is stretched pretty thin right now. Let me just say that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you remember back in 2019 when the world was normal and we had cons? Yeah, yeah. That w- and you remember there used to be this con. It was a little thing, just a couple of people here and there called Gen Con. Yeah, yeah, not long ago. Yeah, yeah. I remember the Well, ago. back in 2019, uh, Fantasy Flight announced that they had a new studio, Atomic Mass Games, that was specializing in uh, miniatures games, right? And right. their first release was Marvel uh, Crisis Protocol. Yeah. Yeah, I remember right? all that. Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah. One of, one of, one of the uh, one of the one of the top dogs uh, at Privateer left to work on that. Will Schick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they've apparently been doing quite well because as of today, in fact, the news broke today. 
as of today, in a strategic reorganization of its Star Wars miniature titles. Asmodee has announced that they are moving their three Star Wars brands, Star Wars X-Wing, which of course is in its second edition, Star Wars Legion, and Star Wars Armada, my mistress, the the one who owns my heart. Yeah, yeah, obviously. uh, Over to Atomic Mass Games. I read about this too. You stole the story from me because I was fascinated by it. But yeah. This isn't the first time Fantasy Flight's done that. They uh, or uh, Asmodee's done that. They transferred all of the role playing games from Fantasy Flight to a different studio that does uh, role playing games that they own. Yeah, yeah, they've been doing a lot of restructuring. It, it seems like they're trying to keep stuff in its own little swim lane, uh, which I, I guess makes sense, right? Mastery, mastery rather than generalism. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because I, I mean, I was thinking about this. Like, they own so many companies. I'm like, is this the future? Are they going to like? shove all these companies together because like ticket to ride, uh, uh, day, day, days of wonder. That, that's the company, you know, they, they're owned by them and fantasy flight. Like, are, are, is that the future? Are we going to like see a, a, a conglomeration of all of these sort of satellite studios into one thing? Cause it's, it's starting to happen now, given it's happening more on their niche products, which makes more sense. Cause like board game money is way, way, way bigger than RPG and miniature game money unless your games workshop. So, you know, but I don't know. It's interesting. Well, it's going to be headed up uh, initially, at least by Simone Elliott, uh, who has been shepherding the relationship with Lucasfilm licensing since 2015. She will be moving over to Atomic Mass Games and will be uh, handling head of studio. And then your boy, Will Schick, will be assuming primary creative oversight as head of product development. And then several key members of each of those teams will actually be moving over to Atomic Mass as well. I believe Atomic Mass is not in Minnesota. I don't know where they are. I think they're in West it Coast. Has, it has to be. It has to be Seattle because I, I I I follow Will Schick on the Twitter and he did not mention moving. He just mentioned he worked for a new company. So I will bet you money it's it's Seattle. Uh yeah I don't know it doesn't say on their website really weird. That brings us to the end of our... Oh, son of a bitch. Are you kidding me? Why did I not see that earlier? What? That the necromancers have werewolves. Yeah, I said that out loud. I, I said it out loud. I didn't click until I... You know what? You know what I didn't do? I didn't say click on the link in the notes and look at the pictures. I think you'll like them, which I will do now. How did <laughs> I, I... I just... It didn't click until I saw it in the, in the, the copy... Yeah, I was about yeah. to start the next segment, and I saw two werewolves, and now I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, the werewolf, the werewolf minis aren't bad. I like them. Like, view the gallery. It's pretty. And the scarecrows are cool. They have scarecrows. I like the scarecrows. <clears throat> the zombies are zombies. I don't know. Where's the gallery? Uh, it's at the bottom of the article. Oh, there we go. I like the ghosts. I, li- I like the werewolves. They're, they're lean. They're lean wolves. I like a lean werewolf. I don't know the big old like bulky one. If you've ever seen a wolf out in the wild, they're not they're not bulky animals. They can't be. And I like the big giant flesh golems. I think the zombies are are a weak link, but they're zombies and they're supposed to be cannon fodder. So I'm a, I'll allow it. I like the ghosts a lot, though. The ghosts are pretty cool, and the scarecrow and the werewolves. The scarecrow's dope. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. I like the little specter too underneath the sheet. He's cool. Yeah, yeah, man, that werewolf is great. Yeah. Oh, damn it. Sorry, bro. That's all right. All right, moving right along. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of our news segment, which means it is, of course, time for no time. Well, in this case, it's no time to suffer because uh, there was a lot of time to suffer. It was apparently an hour and 45 minutes of suffering. 
<laughs> do, it, do it. Brilliant idea with Zarvaz. Mine. I'm God, so excited. I hate you for that. I love you, buddy. But good lord, this was a painful, painful thing. Oh, dude, it was so. And worth I had it. to spend four dollars on it. Fool. All right. So let's let's talk about no Hold time on, to bond. Uh, this is a very special episode of No Time to Bond because <laughs> Sir Sh- Sean Connery. The word I would have used. I think special could be replaced with. Shitty. Sir Sean Connery passed away uh, right either before or after. The, it was right before we recorded the last episode. Um, Probably right after he rewatched this movie and realized how bad it was. And so, you know, I think we both agree, Sean Connery, there's there's problems to him. So I I don't think there's any fitting tribute than pro- watching what is arguably his worst movie. And yeah. I don't think there's an argument there. I don't think it's possible to cap this. I'd rather watch... <laughs> the theatrical cut of Highlander 2. I have watched the theatrical cut of Highlander 2. I have too, and I can tell you with authority, not as bad as Zardoz. (laughs) Infinitely more watchable than Zardoz. We watched 1974's Magnum Opus Zardoz. Magnum Opus, I'd say, self-masturbatory exposition. Directed by John Borman, who basically got to make this movie, which was a passion project of his because he just got done directing Deliverance and won an Oscar. And this was his follow-up. Zardoz, you're welcome, life. Made for a budget of $1.57 million, it made $1.8 million in the theaters. So, <laughs> no, that's that's not even break even when you factor in marketing costs. This was 1974 marketing costs, though. So who knows? Still, there's no way, there's no way they only spent two hundred eighty three thousand dollars on marketing. To put it in perspective, Jonathan, the man with the golden gun, which was released the same year, which we covered in a previous episode, had a budget of seven million dollars and made ninety seven million dollars. So you know what else it had? And and you know I didn't care for the man with the golden gun as much as I could have. <laughs> it had watchability and plot. <laughs> just saying that's what you get with seven million versus so i don't even know what to say about this movie it was so it's an so incomprehensible train wreck with lots of boobs yeah. you can put that crap on the box that's a box quote right there yeah, I, I think the best thing, because I was watching YouTube videos about people discussing this movie to see if there was like anything to say about it, because I just, I didn't, I didn't have anything to hang my hat on. I don't know what to say. And do you know the best, my, do, you, do you know why I'm laughing? Why? Do, do you know what my first Google search was when I completed the film? What? And I quote here, what the fuck is Zardoz trying to say? <laughs> that was my first Google search. After I got to the end of the movie, because no matter how I analyze it or cut it internally, it makes no damn sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think the best thing that anybody had to say about this movie is Zardoz is a very unique movie because somehow it is both. It got made. It got approved. That it is somehow both obscure and yet everybody knows it because you could show anybody, I think, a, a still from Zardoz because, you know, it's. No, uh, the still. You know the still I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Sean Connery holding a a, a six shot revolver in his nappy. And it, it is. Well, they were calling it a jock strap in the thing I, I watched. But yes, like you could see that, and you know exactly what it's from, and you probably have never seen the movie. And I, I think that's probably the best thing you can say about that movie. It is somehow both. Everybody knows it, and it's obscure. Do you know how this table, or do, do you know how this, uh, do you know how this movie goes to dinner? Hmm. Trainwreck, Party of One, your table's now available. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. it's that kind of bad. It's that it's so bad it gets that joke. 
<laughs> because it doesn't deserve anything better. My God, it makes no sense. It don't, makes don't sense. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. At its core, there is an interesting kernel of an idea. But this isn't even a treatment. This is the this is the, the three-paragraph description that you write down on the back of the napkin because you happened to be having a salad at Outback when you had the idea, and you were just jotting it down so that you didn't forget it. That's that's I what we get Zardoz. from the story. The gun is good. The gun gives death. The penis is bad. <laughs> what the hell with that? <laughs> it spreads the seed. Yeah. I- Guns are good. The penis is bad. <laughs> I this movie is incomprehensible. It, it, you know how I've talked. There's this like weird through line in sci-fi of like you know the Destiny sci-fi where they just adjectives are just descriptions of places. You know, like in Destiny, it's like you have a ghost, and there was the fall, and there is the traveler. <laughs> like this, this movie has a lot of that, but yeah, uh, I. I don't even know what to say, Jonathan. There's nothing There's nothing to talk about in this movie. Like, it's so... Like, okay, nominally the story is about these people become immortal, and because they're immortal, they want to die, but they can't because they never built that into their technology. And it's this weird dystopian society of immortals and what would it be actually like to be immortal. And then the way that they punish you is they make your body older. And every time you die, they regenerate you like Doctor Who into a new body. So you're always the age. So like if they regenerate you, if you get punished enough that you're like old and senile, if you die, you'll just come back as old and senile. And that's, that's your punishment, I guess. And, and they're like societies on the brink of collapse, obviously, because there's way more people who are old and senile and, or have just the, the apathetics who just stand around and do nothing than the people who actually do anything in that society. Yeah. And apparently they have the technology to make floating heads, uh, that that are actually like airships, but they do not have the technology to make a brazier. Yeah, there's a lot of boobs in that movie. I a lot of boobs. Yeah, I I I don't know what was going on in that. Let's go to the uh, let's go to the big wiki quote here and uh, take a look at some of the choice dialogue that you will be treated to should you choose to watch Zardoz. And I quote. Zardoz speaks to you, his chosen ones. You have been raised up from brutality to kill the brutals who multiply and are legion. To this end, Zardoz, Zardoz, your god, gave you the gift of the gun. The gun is good. The penis is evil. The penis shoots seeds and makes new life and poisons the earth with a plague of men as it once was. But the gun shoots death and purifies the earth of the filth of the brutals. Go forth and kill. That pretty much sums up the whole movie right there. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's the kind of quality you're getting. That is art. I mean, I didn't even have it on. I had it on in the background while I was working on some menial tasks, and it was still painful, even though I was only giving it maybe an eighth of my attention. Gina and I were giving it all of our attention, and it Good didn't make God. it any better. Did it feel like nine hours? I feel like it would have felt like nine hours. No, we were we were cracking a lot of jokes and complaining about it, so it, it was fun. But yeah, yeah. So I think I think I think we need to just end this here, Jonathan. I don't think there's anything to say about this movie. It, it's problematic. It's not very well done. 
it's it's got its issues much like the man sean connery a tribute to thee sir god bless you may angels sing thee to thy rest this film good lord <laughs> did you ever see the tagline on the poster no what was it beyond 1984 beyond 2001 beyond love beyond death zardoz I read Sean Connery did this movie because he was having problems finding roles after uh, after he retired yes. his Bond. This was during the, the the great reinvention of Connery. So yes, he he got paid two hundred thousand dollars of the one point five seven million dollar budget, and he got extra money because he talked the studio because they were going to hire him a driver to drive him to the set, and he was like, "If if I drive myself to the set, can I get paid half of what you're going to pay the driver?" And they're like, "Sure." So he got a little extra Skrilla. <laughs> so in nineteen seventy four money, if that was today, he would have made a cool million bucks to run around in a red nappy with a bandolier and a nice. bad hairpiece. Very bad hairpiece. I mean, look, I'm not gonna lie, hashtag things I would do for a million bucks, bizardos. I would do that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know what to say. There's nothing. I to didn't discuss. even have it in me to text you. It was so bad. Yeah, John. There's just nothing to say. We'll just I, move I on. I couldn't wrap my head around it. We'll we'll pour some out for Sean Connery and and we'll move on. It was it was tribute to him. <laughs> Here's a quote from Roger Ebert: A genuinely quirky movie, a trip into a future that seems ruled by perpetually stoned set decorators. The movie <laughs> is an exercise in self indulgence. By Borman, who more or less had carte blanche to do a personal project after his immensely successful deliverance. Yeah. Yeah. And here's a quote from John Borman, the director. (laughs) Oh, my God. This is amazing. (laughs) If this doesn't sum it up, I don't know what does. Quote, um, it was the 70s and I was doing a lot of drugs. Frankly, even I'm not entirely sure what parts of the movie are about. End quote. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, John Borman, writer and director of Zardoz. If you could just drop in an applause sound effect right here, it would be amazing. No, I don't, I don't think this movie gets to have that. No, I think it deserves exactly that. <laughs> this is up there with like actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. All right, all right, all right. Let's 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 move on. There's nothing to say. We're just dunking on this. We have nothing. There's nothing. So why was Charlotte Rampling's character named Consuela? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like <laughs> Jesus, what a fucking train wreck! Can't believe you made me watch that. Sh- You're welcome. Hey, man, we watched it for Sean Connery. We what? You know what? Maybe. Oh, I don't know. All right, well, with that car accident of a movie out of the way, it is now time for our Year in the Life segment. God, what will we think of in next year when we look back upon this self-immolation? Forgot My Dice, Episode 75, Merry Band of Terrible Things. We, oh, hey, uh, what an appropriate title for the Zardoz episode, Look Back. We Deep Dove Terrors of London. God, has it been a year? Yes, it has. I was just looking at that box, not even last, not, not just last night, thinking to myself how much I wanted to play it. <laughs> I was doing a little cleanup around the office and I, I, I happened to be on the shelf with that on it. I, I looked at the box and I said, wow, you know what? I need to play this again. I, I, I really enjoyed this game. We'll play the game again and let us know. Take it off the shelf. Now is your time. 
uh, you know what? I might have to do that this weekend. As it appears, we will all be going into deep down lock, deep dark lockdown again very soon. Yes, that's true. What else did we talk about in that episode? We talked about BMX bandits. Wow. Uh, yeah. The dark season one you had just watched. Uh, oh, I, like I am mother. Scene. And I had just gotten another great movie, Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. Oh, yes. 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 Mm. Boy, let me just tell you, November is your hits month. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, good times. Good. Uh, Good You were all over the Dragon's Quest Builder 2. I'm just looking at the tags. Yeah. Dune Watch had officially begun and continues. So, yeah, all sorts of fun stuff back then, a year ago. And it's going to be really kind of weird and frightening thinking about it. I remember starting to hear about the Rona in December. Yeah. Yeah, So we're going to start getting to the episodes where the Rona started becoming a thing. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it it hit China just about Chinese New Year, which would have been mid you know, like mid well, to late January was when it I, really exploded. I remember somebody starting this is to when talk it about started to hit the news. Yeah. But I, I remember hearing about a, a flu that was going around in, in, in December. I mean, or maybe that's when it started going around, but yeah, I kind of remember something coming up in December, like late December, they were talking about something going around China and here we are, baby. One year later. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. I made it real. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that brings us to a depressing end of a back-to-back depressing segment. (laughs) Thank you, Zardoz, for ruining not one but two segments. (laughs) Thank you, Rona. Zardoz and the Rona? That sounds like a terrible cop show that needs to be made. (laughs) I'd watch it. (laughs) But Zardoz and the Rona, they they belong to each other. They've earned the right to be with each other. I'll I'll just leave it at that. Zardoz and the Rona, KTLA. <laughs> KFU 20. <laughs> when we return, it'll be time for our deep dive. But first, a break. We will see you in just a few moments. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our deep dive. And tonight we are deep diving into a wonderful uh, RPG adventure. We are hitting the final frontier of the galaxy as we enter Star Trek Adventures. Star Trek Adventures takes you to the final frontier of the galaxy where new discoveries await keen explorers of Starfleet. Your duties may take you to the edges of known space or to Federation colonies in need, to the borders of neighboring galactic powers or into the eye of interstellar phenomena. Your ship and your crew are the best Starfleet and the United Federation of Planets has to offer and you are needed more than ever. Welcome to your new assignment, your continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Zardoz! Yeah! <laughs> Zardoz is such a planet that Kirk would land on. <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> Zardoz is a total Kirk planet. No <laughs> doubt. 
Not a bra to be seen. Good lord. <laughs> oh man, yeah, we didn't even talk about like the problematic sexuality expressions in that film. Oh, Jonathan, Jonathan, <laughs> let's put it behind us. We did it. We watched it, so you don't have to. I can't cleanse myself <laughs> of it. It stained me. All right. So, Jonathan, let's talk about the basic mechanics of the system. <laughs> do you remember how you're supposed to roll? I do. It's been like a week. I, well, remember, I've, I've played a couple of other systems that, are, that use this, this core. Okay, okay. So, yes, it's, it's, it's a 2d20 system. In this particular variation of the system, you are taking an attribute and you are adding it to a discipline. So these are two different things that you form during character creation. And that gives you a target number. And as long as you roll under that target number, then bada bing, you get a success. And then basically whatever you're trying to do is going to have a certain number of successes that you need to get. And if you get uh, under that target number, you are good to go. You've got your successes, you go. And if you get um, over that target number, you do not get a success and bad things happen. And there are ways to roll additional D20s. Uh, there's like talents in the game. You could, There's a, a ton of stuff you can well, do. One of my favorite aspects of this system is when you use your values, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit. Yes. Uh, and uh, you have a thing called focuses. Focuses, if you roll a success and it's like part of your focus, you get you get two successes for every success. Uh, you could spin momentum, which is a resource that the players have, which is uh, if you play fate, it's kind of like the fate pool or Benny's from Savage Worlds. It's just a, a pool you can draw. Reminds you of the destiny points in uh, in Star Wars, actually. You could spin momentum just by taking it and then you get more momentum if you roll more successes than you need to. So if you need to roll three successes and say you roll like five, you get two more into the moment, two more into the momentum pool. And also you you can have other characters help you and other characters, all they can contribute is one success to your role, even if they roll a bunch. (laughs) But it's totally doable because that kind of helps to, to accent the team oriented nature of Starfleet. Yes, and and in uh, in the Star Trek game, your ship actually can roll too because your ship has similar stats, and so your ship just on basis of being a cool starship can help you with your roll because it's got you know technology and whatnot. Because future, because the future. So okay, the attributes are control, which is just about controlling yourself and being careful and accurate and precise. Uh, daring, which is what you think it is. That's mostly the combat st- stat. That's the Kirk stat. That's the the jumping on it. Um, insight, presence, and reason. And then the disciplines, which are basically a very broad term for their skills, are command, con, which is mostly controlling ships and shuttles, engineering, pretty obvious, security. Security is also one of the combat stats. Worf would have a high security because he beats people up. (laughs) Or would he have a low security because he keeps getting knocked out? I don't know. (laughs) Poor Worf. Uh, Science and medicine. (laughs) Speaking of that, I feel like Starfleet might need a concussion protocol. (laughs) <laughs> this poor wharf man he gets hit he gets it the worst he, he probably has two brains man <laughs> Klingons have backup of everything there's a joke in there there's not a joke in there in Star Trek Discovery they showed a, a, a Klingon urinating and two streams came out my friend uh, they have a backup for everything Zardoz <laughs> and then some of the other things we threw around uh, your character has focuses focuses are just descriptive terms of like what your character's good at so I for example made the ship's engineer. And so my focuses are warp field dynamics, EPS systems, transporters and replicators, survival, the philosophy of Apollo and MacGyvering. 
I like that you included MacGyvering. Yes, I was not the only one. Somebody else independently, Wes, independently of me, put MacGyvering in. So which is, MacGyvering I mean, is a thing. I mean, let's be fair. Uh, that's there's not much more that's Starfleet than MacGyvering. That's true. So my uh, my focus is I I should say that my character is a Klingon. I am playing the Klingon first officer Mogodush, son of Mortran of House Mang. My focuses are negotiation, composure, diplomacy, evasive action, and hand-to-hand combat. Now, you're probably saying diplomacy, but he's a Klingon. But the reason why is because his form of diplomacy is by having a a very high presence and a very high daring, which basically means that he is um, he's ruling by sheer intimidation. <laughs> so if he's in a negotiation, he just intimidates the other party into uh, you know a position that is positive for him. So yes, anytime you roll anything where you can like tie your focus into whatever it is doing, you just get double successes for every success you rolled. Like for example, in the adventure that we played, something was broken down in engineering, and the GM just happened to say that like one of the EPS conduits had blown out, and I'm like, hey, EPS systems are one of my focuses, so I get extra dice <laughs> or I get extra successes. Alternatively, you have values, and values are more like statements. Uh, they, if you play Fate, they're a little bit more like aspects in the way you're supposed to think about them. Um, and if you use one of your values, you can spend a point of determination, which is like uh, it's 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 better than most everything. It, it automatically gives you successes instead of having to roll extra dice, and you can do other stuff with it. There's a lot of stuff you can do with determination, uh, kind of a laundry list. The values are actually one of my favorite parts of the system because of the way you write them. You you write them one at a time and they come up during specific points in the character creation and it forces you to think of your character's background. And I think this is one of the most clever things that it does. And certainly because of the nature of the way the values are assigned and the attributes and disciplines that are associated with them, it forces you to be Star Trek, which I really like. Yes, yes. They're not exactly gamified concepts. They're pretty broad, and they're supposed to be broad. They're supposed to be sort of yeah, a statement of your broad, character. Yeah, because you, you're, you're applying them much like somebody would apply a personal value to any given situation and see if it, if it caused them to make a decision one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. Like one of my values, because uh, uh, my character was uh, raised on Starbase 12, I, I just wrote down Starfleet brat because, you know, I was thinking military brat. My guy, you know, I've I've been in Starfleet for a long time. So if I could somehow tie that into whatever's going on, I could spend a, a point of determination. Like, you know, if there's an actual existential threat to the Federation or if it's just like I'm trying to deal with something where, you know, just somebody who'd have to live at a star base for a really long time would just have to know it, like, you know, the ins and outs or whatever. So, and like one of them is just my, me and Gina decide to play married couple because we do that occasionally. So one of my, my values is just I love my wife. And so, yeah, it's a descriptive item that you're – I get the sense you're supposed to use them sparingly because I, I don't think you can use them like all the time. And also, once you spend one of your values, it, you can't use it again. That adventure, it's gone. It, it is a more limited resource where focuses are just always there. And and even momentum and some of the other but stuff. But I like it because you can use it to back up a focus. Like negotiation is not something that a Klingon would normally have, but I tied it to a value. Uh, and my value is a glare and a growl will help you get your way. And that kind of justifies it it gives it a reason to exist yeah yeah it, it, it makes for a very fleshed out very real character I, I it's like i said it's one of my favorite parts of the system oh yeah the character creation is friggin brilliant and i've looked at a couple of the other 2d20 systems and they all do it like uh, the conan game 
has something. I it's not exactly the same. Like you know, you're not Conan going to Starfleet Academy or whatever. But it's it's a very similar breakdown. <laughs> Conan of, the salary man. <laughs> yes, that Twitter's great. But it's a very similar breakdown of like your life. You know, like you have your instead of your Star Trek species, you have you know where you were born. Are you a Chimeran or whatever? And then they have sort of like your childhood and events that happen throughout your life. It's a little bit different, but it's a very similar process. And I really want to, they, they did an, uh, infinity, the, uh, the, the miniature game, the sci-fi one, uh, they did an RPG of that. And I kind of want to flip through that because I like the universe. So I'm kind of curious yeah. how they, they turned it into that. And then the last thing we mentioned were talents and talents are kind of like feats in D and D. Um, they give you very, very, they're very situational and they're very specific. You get four of them as a starting character, and generally they're just, yeah, they're kind of things that just trigger on stuff. Like I have one called testing a theory, which is, uh, and it came up in that engineering because I, I fixed the EPS conduits and we're trying to fix the ship. My next role, I got to use testing a theory cause I was still trying to fix the ship and testing a theory says, if you're doing a role again, where you've done something, you've succeeded in a, a similar role previously in the adventure, you get like an extra dice or something like that. I think that's how testing a theory goes. And because like I had already, we're trying to fix a, a ship since I'd already fixed something in the EPS grid because of some damage that they took, I had to go fix something in the warp core and I'm like, Oh, I'm testing a theory. You know, I think the flobbity blue is broken or whatever. And so I got to roll an extra D 20, but yeah, most of the talents are like that. It's very situational. I, I I've got another one called, I know my ship, which, uh, it really helps if you're actually on your ship <laughs> rolling, which I was not. So that kind of sucked. I, I'm thinking about changing one of them. I've got two talents that are focused on being on a ship that I know. And I'm like, Ooh, that's like half of my talents. And if I go somewhere else, they don't work very well. So maybe I'll switch one of those out or something. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But that's the basics of the system. It's you roll D20s. You try to modify your D20 rolls by doing various things, um, either by story narrative means, because th- this game's got weird like like indie game DNA in it where you've got a lot of like narrative elements or just with the talents where you have like very specific triggers that get you extra stuff. And there's the, the, the talents are very specific and there's a lot of different ways that they, they trigger just based off of what you take. So it's interesting. It's, it's kind of this weird mix. It's kind of reminds me of the cipher system that way too. Cipher system has like kind of crunch and then kind of narrative stuff kind of in a, a bag together. So the one last thing, uh, when you roll damage in this game, uh, you roll these proprietary D sixes that they have for every version of this game. These are a little annoying because we'll get to this later. They weren't described very well. Uh, it took me no. a while to figure out what they were used for. And in fact, during our first game, I don't think we figured out what they were used for. I figured it out later. <laughs> after yeah, we no, played. we had to table a lot of that. So basically you have a D six. Uh, it's got a side, a single side with one, a single side with two, two blank sides, and two sides in the Star Trek game with the Star Trek symbol. And these dice are kind of like Fantasy Flight dice, where uh, when you roll damage, a one equals one damage, a two equals two damage, a blank equals nothing. And Starfleet symbols are basically crits, um, like they do in like some of the, the you know, uh, I, I know they do that in Armada, where they have like the special, and I'm pro- they probably do it in Genesis knowing them, I would imagine. They do. And if you get a crit, it just allows you to do extra stuff when you're rolling damage, like, you know, negate armor. Or there's there's things that pop up that make you do less damage or make you do less stuff. Uh, ironically, remember how we were doing that long skill check that we didn't understand how to do? The one where we were piloting through the nebula? Yes. Th- we were supposed to use the, those dice there, too. So basically, because we thought it was just you had to roll successes and we had to roll eight of them, but that's not true. If we rolled enough successes we could basically damage the skill test. Uh, uh, it, it's not called that, but essentially the skill test has eight hit. It had eight hit points. And so every time we succeeded, we would roll damage. And if we 
zeroed out the damage or if we rolled three successes or if you did something with the Star Trek dice, um, you got uh, another thing. And basically what the game was looking for was us to get uh, breakthroughs. Uh, the game was looking for us to get three breakthroughs to finish the skill test. Ah. And if you zero out the skill test hit points, anytime you'd go to roll damage on the skill test, you just automatically get a breakthrough from that point on. It comes up a lot in the rules, but uh, we'll get to this. It's not laid out super duper well. And that's from the perspective of a player and from a GM. I... Well, how about how about we're talking about it now? So let's talk about the the flaws in the game, because <laughs> because we're. I, I don't know that it's so much as a flaw in the game as it is a flaw in the way that the rule book is laid out. It it just doesn't make organic sense in teaching the system to no. anybody. And from a a looking up rules perspective, it's a hot mess. Like things don't things are not placed in such a manner that makes them make sense when you're looking for them. Yeah, and the game uses L cars a lot for like sidebars and whatnot. Oh, and it, and yeah. it's very it, graphically, from a graphic design standpoint, it's a hot mess and it's really distracting. Yeah. And I mean, like flipping through the book, it looks very Star Trek because you're used to the L cars, you know, as a Star Trek viewer. Yeah, and using that on the, the headers and footers would have been fine, but the problem is there's so many inlays, as there are in every RPG book, but the way they handle the inlays is all with the L-Car stuff, and so it gets to be this loud mess of colors, and yeah, it's yeah. distracting at best, and you know it works against your ability to utilize the book at, at worst. We, we are dunking on this rulebook pretty hard, and frankly, it deserves it. I've heard the Klingon book is much better. Um, cause they made a Klingon core rule book that just came out and a lot of people on the Reddit are saying it's much better organized. If you are interested in the Starfleet game, what I would suggest is get your mitts on the starter box because the starter box rule book, much better, much better, like much, I, much better. And, and, and here's the thing I had to read. I read that first because not all of the rules are in that cause it's the starter set. It's, it's the basics. It's, it's like. 80% of the stuff in the book. Like it doesn't really go over starship combat. It doesn't go over the skill challenges. It doesn't go over just some of the more niche stuff, but it does a really, really good job of laying out the basics and how the system rolls. Like I didn't get that. The that's where I figured out that those dice are damaged dice. And that's when you roll them. I didn't understand that at all at all. And given I hadn't read the rule book, but several people in our group had, and they didn't get it from reading the main rule book, which is a problem. I would highly recommend that. Like the the starter adventure rulebook is great. It's 24 pages. It's very concise. It goes over the basics extremely well. It's not nearly as loud and annoying because it's supposed to be printed on black and white paper because it's just a little booklet that comes in a box set. It's great. And then from there, what you build off of that by reading the rulebook because then you know enough of the rules that when they talk about them in a poorly organized fashion, you actually have something to like parse it with with your knowledge from the main rule book and if you need to go back and look something up from the little 24 page rule book it's a lot easier to flip through and find than the rule book too than the main rule book so yeah agreed so yeah that that's the main thing off in the execution and apparently they're aware of it because like i said I, i've heard good things about the uh the the klingon book and i'm curious how i i don't know if infinity or conan came out later i'm curious if they get do a better job of describing the system in those books if they came out after star trek all right so let's let's talk about where the system shines though where the system just like nails it which i i would say is given we haven't done spaceship combat yet so maybe maybe that's quite good too uh character creation in this game is amazing to, to me it's the best part oh yeah, yeah hands down because 
and I say this not just from the perspective of an RPG. I say this as a, uh, pr- from the perspective of an RPG that's specific to the Star Trek universe. It forces you to focus on backstory and it forces you to justify the choices that you're making from a character perspective, which instantly means that you're coming up with an interesting, well-rounded character with, with good history to justify the way that they they behave. The best part is a lot of it you can roll randomly. Now, I wouldn't suggest you roll all of it randomly. Like, for instance, if you go into this game and you're like, I want to be very specific Star Trek race I like, like, say you have a weird soft spot for Endorians because there's just not enough Endorians in the in you Shren. You really you aren't. Love, you love Shren. Because Jeffrey Combs, I mean, how could you not love him? Truth. <laughs> so you're like, I'm gonna play an Endorian, and I know the the spot we have open on the bridge that I want to fill is like the science officer or the navigator or whatever you want to whatever you want to play. So walk into that knowing that, knowing that you want to build that. So but you can just as we say, let the emperor decide uh, from A to B, from A to Z, like just roll race randomly, roll everything randomly. But the beauty is if you kind of come up with something specific, you can be specific in, in those parts where you, you, you know, you could roll randomly or not, but in parts where you, you don't have a strong opinion, you can just kind of let fate decide and try to justify it with your character later, which is what I did when I made my engineer. My, my wife and I got this weird idea to make two characters that were half human and half a different type of alien that were married. So we knew that going in and I knew I wanted to be the engineer and she wanted to be the helmsman. So we knew that, but other than that, we kind of let the roles decide. And as we made the roles, uh, it, it kind of formed like our backstory. And we came up with a backstory about us serving on a ship together where a whole bunch of the command crew died in an accident. And it was during the dominion war. And we were kind of away in, in a Nova class kind of, you know, Nova classes are not great. So they didn't want to send anybody out because they needed more experienced officers to fight in the war, but they didn't want to call us back because our ship just frankly wasn't good enough to be worth the time to do that. So it put me and Gina's character in a command position long before we were, you know, supposed to have a command position type thing. And we got all that just based off of our, our various roles. So anyway, so step one, Jonathan, what is step one of character creation? Well, step one is, the basics species you gotta you gotta figure out what you are and all that does is it raises some stats uh it's specific to various races uh except for humans who get to pick whatever they want which is uh, we need to be getting away from that in role-playing games but whatever um and then every race has two talents that are unique to that species and so at this point you can pick one of them or you can just pick a talent from the book I think it's more fun to pick one of your, your racial. Oh yeah, I did for my clan. Oh, I, I completely did too. Cause it was funny. My wife is, is, is a uh, half, uh, Katarian, Kata- the, the cat people. So one of their talents is prehensile tail where she can actually use it to like push buttons and stuff. Which is funny. Cause that's definitely more of a marsupial thing. Yeah. Or well, a, 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 uh, well, ape they, thing. They no, appear, not ape monkey, but they, they appear to be cats, but they're space aliens, Jonathan, they can do whatever they want. Your, your human notion of biology does not apply to them. Whenever you say space, ca- space cats, all I can think of is Wing Commander. Yeah, the Kilrathi. Yeah. Not the ones from the movie that are skinless no, or God, hairless. No, let's just, let's not. Okay, I'm still having Zardoz shakes, so so stop. Let's yeah, if I could find that movie to watch, man, I would do it in a heartbeat. That movie was bad, too. I know too. I would, too, and I would regret it. You know I saw that in the theater? I saw it in the theater, too. We went over this last time. Yes, I know. Oh, God. I did, Look, too. My brain's just trying to make, pretend it didn't happen. No, nah, man, embrace it. Embrace it. Anyway, let's talk about good sci-fi. What is step two? Uh, that would be environment. So basically, where do they come from? 
uh, a homeworld like Earth or Trill or whatever. Uh, they have busy colony, uh, isolated colony, frontier colony, starship or starbase, and another species homeworld. Um, and this, this is actually where you get to make up your first value, too. So this yes. is an important step. Yes. This is really when you start to define your character's background. And you're supposed to come up with a value that reflects basically your upbringing. So if, yeah. you know, maybe so like you're a Vulcan. My, my guy served in the Klingon fleet uh, when he was younger, and his first value is aggression is the path to safety. Michael Burnham in Discovery, she would be a good example of this. Uh, she was raised on the Vulcan homeworld, but she's human. So that's raised on another species homeworld. That's the one that the Michael Burnham would take. When I rolled it, I decided I was trying to pick what I would do. And I just sort of landed on Starbase 12 because it gets mentioned a lot. But no one's ever actually been there in the show. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is perfect. But yeah, yeah. And basically what this step does is it raises two of your stats. You raise one discipline and then you make up a value. Uh, and that's where I came up with Starfleet Brat because that, that was that step. What's step three? Step three is upbringing. So this is where you get to, uh, you know, kind of, again, define more of the background of the character. And you are, this is where you choose your first talent, right? Yes. And your upbringing, the ones they have listed, you just roll a D6, are Starfleet, business or trade, agricultural, rural, science and technology, artistic and creative, or diplomacy and politics. I think I, I, think I rolled science and technology on mine for this character. Yeah, you just sort of come up with a backstory. My backstory was my guy is half Katarian, which is like uh, Naomi Wildman from uh, Voyager. So I, I was growing up very fast. You know, my childhood was very short compared to all the other kids. So um, but my parents like worked at the shipyards because apparently in the EU or whatever, Starbase 12 has a shipyard and a ground base that manufactures stuff and does other things. Yeah, I figured I figured like, oh, my dad worked in the shipyards. I was around the shipyard stuff all the time, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and it's also where you choose your first focus, which is where I choose I chose EPS stuff because in my backstory I decided that since I, I my dad took me to work a lot, I, I was just around the EPS stuff all the time and I got to know it. So there you go. <laughs> and one last thing about upbringing, uh, you either get to accept your upbringing or rebel against it. And all that does is it determines which stats you raised. So it's like if you're if you were being raised in the Klingon fleet, you know, did you accept that? And you, you're like, oh, raw Klingon or you're like, no, I want to do something else like that. What did you choose anyway? Speaking of which, for the Klingon, mm-hmm. he wanted to choose his own path. So that's part of the reason that he left and went and joined Star Trek or uh, uh, Starfleet. Okay, so you rebelled against your upbringing. Yes, oh, that's cool. But that being said, it still defines him, like the, yeah, the aggression yeah. and the glare and the growl and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's he's very very much a Klingon. He just does not think that the Klingon way is the path forward for the Klingon race. There you go. See, see, building backstory. I love it. All right, step four, Jonathan. Step four, Starfleet Academy. This is basically pick your shirt color. Are you blue, yellow, or red? <laughs> I wish they'd called it that. <laughs> it would have been much more fun. Yeah. Command is, uh, yeah, the red shirts. So captaining and piloting are the red shirts. This is a big step because this is where your, your stats really start to change dramatically. Yes, yes, it is. Because this is the step where you do the most shifting of the stats. Yeah, you raise three of your attributes, and you can raise it by more than one point, too. It's not just a one-for-one. One. You choose your major, which is like, you know, in the sciences track, it's like basically medical or, you know, spocking. And that raises one of your disciplines by two. And then you get to pick, like, your Starfleet Academy minors, so you raise two of the other disciplines by one. You get three focuses, which is a ton. Uh, you get one talent, talent and one value, too, from your time at Starfleet Academy. So, yeah, a lot of stuff you pick. Step five, Jonathan. That would be career. So now that you've chosen your shirt, uh, what are you going to do? 
<laughs> well, your career is, are you like a new officer? Are you like fresh out of the academy, raring to go? Have you been around for a while or are you like a veteran officer? If you are uh, a young officer, you get a special talent uh, that young officers get called untapped potential. If you're a veteran officer, you get a special talent called veteran. And if you're just an experienced, but you're not old or young, you just get to pick whatever talent you want. I think all of us picked experienced officer, though. I don't know anybody who picked fresh, you know, a new, new raring to go guy. Uh, no, wasn't there the one that, that was the young kid? No, everybody kept assuming my character was a young kid because I, I went to Surf League Academy when I was nine, but I looked like I was 18 at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody's like, oh, you're like a child project. I'm like, no, I'm not. My guy got married at 16, but I looked like I was in my 20s because <laughs> I'm a space alien and I age fast or I'm half space alien. I have spikes on my forehead, I guess. Then we get into yet more background because we get a career event uh, followed by career event two. Yes. And this is the part I would highly suggest you roll. This is like previously on Star Trek. These are the things that your character did in the past. So like, you know, Riker totally rolled one where he was hanging out on Beta Z for quite a while. (laughs) Um, Do you remember what you rolled? Uh, No, I do not. Not off the top of my head. In my in my focus is if you're wondering why did I have the philosophy of Apollo? It seems kind of out of the ordinary. Uh, <clears throat> so I rolled where, one where, called. What page is that on? Because I could probably find mine. On my PDF, it is on page 119 or 125 of the book. It says 119, 125. So somewhere in there. So I rolled one called. I rolled number six. Encounter with a truly alien being, and this is like Q level alien beings. And so I was trying to figure out what sort of crazy, crazy alien being did I actually encounter? And I was reading stuff about Starbase 12, and it mentioned that it was near Pollux 4, which if you watch your TOS, do you remember the episode where the green hand came and grabbed the Enterprise? Yep. And Apollo was literally down on the planet because he was a godlike alien that was worshipped as a Greek god in the past? Yep. Yep. So I, I read about that. I read about the EU stuff about those guys and they're called the beings or whatnot. And that stuff, I, I don't know what I felt about it, but at the end of it, everybody's like, Oh, Apollo died at the end of that episode. And in the EU, they said, no, he didn't die. He became like a, you know, an incorporeal space being. And so I was like, Oh, okay. And then in the EU, uh, the lady that was there totally got knocked up by Apollo and had a half God kid. And so I was like, Oh, I'll, I will have run into Apollo because on my human side, I am like Apollo's great, great, great grandson, if I remember my greats correctly. And so like as a energy being, he just checks in with his ancestors every so often or at least once in their life because he's, you know, Apollo and he can do that. And so that is that is what I chose. And so, yeah, I think in my backstory, it's just I had a one night Apollo came to me and we had a really, really long conversation that lasted all night. But it seemed like it lasted for days because he's a god and can do stuff like that. And but yeah, I I rolled that randomly. I wouldn't have come up with that on my own. It was just me getting something and then reading through memory beta and memory alpha, looking for ideas of what I could have run into that weren't like the obvious ones like Q, because yeah. Q just seemed too easy. I did a random roll and I got serious injury. The character was seriously hurt and needed to spend a considerable amount of time recovering, and that led me to part of my character's backstory where he has an attribute of my crew is the most important thing. I will always protect them. Because when he was seriously injured, his crew came and protected him, even though it put them at greater risk. Nice. And so the the that was fueling a value that I created later on. My other one is uh, it was like veteran of a big battle, which is why I have another 
value, which is always prepared, always vigilant, because I decided that in that big battle, we were, you know, they came in supposed peace, but betrayed and and opened fire on us. Yeah, I, I don't remember what my next one is the one where I tied it into Gina because Gina had yeah, Gina rolled uh, number five required to take command. And so that I, I tied my I don't remember what I rolled because my character sheet doesn't have a space for that, unfortunately, or it doesn't say when you make it in the character generator. It it forces you to build a story, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the like that's the most Star Trek thing you can do because that's one of the greatest things about Star Trek is the 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 characters have these long rich backgrounds that they're constantly calling upon in in every episode. Yeah, yeah, and I, I didn't even realize this as I was doing research for this. Apparently, Jordy and Picard. They were both on the on the the stargazer together for a period yeah, of time. Yeah, they mentioned that a couple times. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's never it's never like lorded upon. Yeah, and I don't think he was there for a long time. But that's why Picard tapped into bit to join the Enterprise crew when he got command. But yeah, oh, just that character creation is so good. Like uh, when I was that ancestry and culture book uh, I got for D and D, I totally riffed on it, and it, instead of choosing like a sub race basically or uh, or a culture as they call it in that book i i made cultures up for a whole bunch of very very specific stuff tied to my setting and then the idea is like uh, i change it so the dnd background you get is kind of like what you were trained to do as an uh, when you got closer to adulthood and then your origin is how you were raised when you were a kid and it just it builds this great story where you think about like where you came from where you ended up and then why are you adventuring now it just it, it forces you to think about your character's story in a much more defined way, which sometimes D&D characters lack, you know, because like what you were doing as a child and where you were as a child, like that's usually not something that comes up. But like thinking about that, I think is like really good for role playing because it, it gives your character just this rich history that a lot of games kind of forget to have you do. And I really like the system for that. Like building a character is such a treat because you get to come up with this goofy story. Yeah, but it, it's it's not just story for the sake of story either. It's story that fuels the characterization later on, and and I mean that that's really the most Star Trek thing that you could do. Yeah, and like I said, I want to see how they implement it in the other two D twenty games, like Infinity or Conan or whatever. They, they've got quite a few now. Like you know, one of the things I always like to to think about when it, I come across a property that's being moved into an RPG is, hey, does the system fit the license? Right? Yeah. And so often it just doesn't. It it just doesn't. It's just that that's who happened to get the the license, and whether that's right or wrong, it's all too often what happens. The nice thing about this one is that the the I can't think of very many other systems that I think would fit this particular license this well. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd say fate, but fate can do anything well if you want to just do it narratively. Fate and Genesis are about the only ones that I can think of because, like you said, it's it's all about what fits the narrative best, and those are both such narrative systems. No, oh, I read a pretty decent conversion for the Cypher system, too, that somebody made. But, yeah, no, but I like I like the system. Like, I... I I have the the PDFs of the Star Trek ones and stuff, but I'm like, eh, the system's great. <laughs> it does it, it at least for Star Trek works very well for what it needs to do. Like I said, that's why I want to see like how it works for Conan because Conan has a much different vibe than Star Trek, and I'm like, how are they going to implement this system into that? It seems fascinating, but that is a question for future Robert. Which they have a hun- uh, they have a humble bundle for all of the the 2D20 uh, Conan books right now. So yeah. Oh really? Oh yeah. <laughs> I still have a VR hum- humble bundle right now that I'm very interested in. Well, there you go. 
And then last but not least, step eight is finishing touches. Uh, if you raise stats or skills over a certain value, uh, you just get to redistribute the points because you can't, I think they can't be over five or something like that. Or 12 for stats, five for disciplines. Um, you get to pit, put two more points into disciplines to sort of round you out. You get to pick one last value, which is, you know, supposed to be more recent thing that defined your life. And that's it. It's really easy. Especially because they have an online character builder, which is amazing. You just push buttons. Yeah. And you know what? More people should do that. Mm-hmm. And not charge for it as an app. Yeah. 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 Might be making some commentary on some bad choices there. <laughs> but yeah, this is just a, it's free on their website. And what's nice about it too, is you can specifically click books that you own. And, you know, so if you have like the Delta, the Alpha Quadrant book, and like some other random PDF, you can turn them all on and build a character out of all that stuff. Uh, like if you have the Voyager characters, that's where it gives you the rules for, you know, seven of nine style liberated Borg. So it's like, I want to be a liberated Borg. So you got to turn on the Voyager characters. Boom. <laughs> so this is where we ordinarily would talk about what's off in the execution, but we went there already because the book is laid out atrociously. Yeah, it really is. It's problematic. I mean, it's, it's, it's not just an inconvenience. It, it has a, a, down effect on the game because you spend there are some really kind of interesting and unique rules in the game and some stuff that because of the way it's written in the book does not always make sense and so when you find yourself in the middle of a session needing to go and and reference them you can't find it and that just brings the game to a grinding halt and that's not fun so jonathan I, i i think we're at this part do you have any last thing to say about star trek adventures again this is one of those times where i look at the property and i look at the system and i say to myself this is a perfect melding this is a perfect melding of system and property to produce characters that that are deep rich and detailed and support the episodic nature of of star trek and that that's really neat that's a good thing it's hampered by a a book that is not laid out in a natural, organic way that promotes good learning for, uh, for for either the GM or the player. And that's a problem. Once you've got five or six episodes kind of under your belt, I think that this, this is a self-rectifying problem. But you're never going to be able to find things quickly in this book, even if you're familiar with it. And I think that that increases the learning curve in a negative way and makes it so that this game is not as easy for... Um, for people that, that maybe are not familiar with RPGs to to enter. It, it, it increases the barrier of entry in a negative way that, that could prevent new players from coming in. And that's that's a problem. I think this game needs a revision. I think that the core system, especially around backgrounds and character creation, is brilliant. And I think that the system itself with the 2D20 is fun. I just think that they need to revise the rulebook to a second edition and clean up not just the way they deliver items, but also just some kind of like weird mathy things in the rules that make it a little crunchier than it, than it maybe should be. But that said, it's an excellent Star Trek game and it's an excellent RPG and you can have a lot of fun with some really great, rich, detailed uh, and executed characters. My last thing would be the one good thing, even though the rulebook kind of sucks and we're not, yes, we've gone on about that in length. This property is Star Trek, right? Yep. So what that means is it is 
very easy to find people playing this game so you can see how the system works before you even have to dig into the rulebook to figure it out. Uh, Geek and I think it's Geek and Sundry did a uh, 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 actual play series called The Shield of Tomorrow, which is amazing because they actually built a set and wore uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch it. I, I watched it. Must a bit be nice to have a budget. Yeah, yeah. But that's not the only one. There's at least three that I found on YouTube alone of actual plays. So because this is Star Trek, even though the book itself does not hold your hand (laughs) and is kind of rough, the simple fact of the matter, it's Star Trek and it's not impossible to find people playing this game. So you could at least like watch other people do it. It's got the, you know, the tabletop thing that Will Wheaton gave us, you know, like you can see people playing this game. So even if it's not clear from a reading or from whatever, if you're confused, you could probably parse it together just seeing other people react to these rules, uh, which is a good thing. You know, it's, it's, it's cool that, you know, Star Trek is big enough that it can elicit that kind of response because not a lot of role playing games get that kind of love. Yeah, agreed. Well, that brings us to the end of our deep dive, which means that brings us to the end of our episode. Robert, uh, any any final thoughts? Yeah, my core hurts so bad right now. <laughs> that yoga pose kicked my butt, and the leg thing that I did. Ring fits great. If you if you need to work out at home and you have a switch, just just go there. It's it's good stuff. There you go. Are you are you gonna keep it for the library for a long time? No, I have to return it the day after tomorrow. But like I said, I bought it. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't think I'll post this on the internet because nobody needs to see my pudginess. But I, I'm really, uh, me and Gina have kind of agreed we're going to take pictures of ourselves and then we're going to take pictures like 30 days from now to see if we've gotten better. Because nice, it's like it actually is a workout. I'm I'm very surprised the video game has gotten me to care about working out. Well, hey, there you go. Well, it's, it's <laughs> done it before when the the Pokemon Go when you guys were going out. Yeah, yeah, this one's even better because it's not just walking around. You actually work up a sweat, do muscles, exercises, and yoga. (laughs) Well, that brings us to the end of episode 99 of the Forgot My Dice podcast, which means next episode, AMA. Yeah. If you're listening to this on release day of this episode, make sure you go get those questions. Otherwise, you missed your opportunity, but you you know what? Post your questions anyway on all of our digital domains. We'd love to hear. Yeah, I'll, I'll be fair. Uh, I'll probably forget to do to take down those things. So I'll take them. I'll probably take them down the day we record because then I'll remember to do it. So if you post it, we'll try to get it in. But no guarantees after today. <laughs> well, with that, there's only one thing left to do, and that is uh, to be excellent to one another and party on, Robert. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 